What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I have special guest Tom King on the line today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing terrific, Robert. I'm uh, super honored and excited to be on your podcast. This is great. No, no, I'm, I'm glad to have you. We're going to get into some food science, I, I hear, so this is going to be good. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Because like anytime anybody says, hey, I'm super excited to hear about food science. Yeah, that's a license for me to run my mouth. So hey, we're all <laughs> we're all keto it. here. So food science is uh, speaking the same language here. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. So, yeah. So for anybody that doesn't like know you, what's like a, a little bio that you can kind of catch us up to speed? Well, um, I started a company called Steviva Brands in 1999. We were one of the first companies to import Stevia into the United States. Um, you know, and my idea was actually to, you know, to build a consumer brand and then to be able to parlay that consumer brand equity into an ingredient company. So we, in 2008, the, the FDA, uh, passed a ruling that allowed Stevia to be used as a sweetener in, you know, in food ingredients. And at that point we really, really dug deep into creating uh, sweetening systems mm-hmm. that that our food, you know, our consumer product partners could actually just drop in to replace uh, to pre- replace sucralose. And so flash forward to 2018, you know, we moved into a new facility that's 58,000 square feet. Uh, 3,500 of it is a is a lab where we actually reformulate and create a lot of ketogenic products and, and help our, uh, help our, uh, manufacturing partners with clean label sugar, sugar reduction. And that is that, that's my day job. So my side hustle is I actually wrote a book called Guy Gone Keto. Um, I adopted a ketogenic lifestyle a couple of years ago and, um, really it's kind of a motivational book, uh, a confessional, um, and an instruction manual. So I am excited to have people read it and tell me what they think. Um, it's my first book. So, and then the book launches on May 15th, which coincides with, uh, coincides with the launch of a line of ketogenic condiments that we've developed in our lab. Um, so ketogenic, uh, ketchup, barbecue sauce, teriyaki sauce, steak sauce and a uh, sweet uh, Thai chili sauce uh, along with MCT oil. And then we're going to be launching a line of beverages after that. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. So, so you went keto and you just uh, hit the ground running and wanted to make all kinds of food products that, that were keto friendly. Um, I dabbled in, I dabbled in keto since I started the company in 1999. And I mean, it really wasn't referred to as, as ketogenic back then. It was referred to as the Atkins diet. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I always struggled with my weight and, you know, and so I, it was actually sort of a yo-yo factor for me. Like I would lose weight and get thin and then I'd gain the weight right back. And so I've always had an issue, you know, with a slow metabolism and particularly being insulin resistant. So I dabbled in, in, um, in keto since then. And it's really kind of why I created the company. So I could create foods that were, you know, that would have less sugar for myself and then hopefully, 
get market adoption. And, um, yeah, I mean, over the time, over time, it's really, really worked for me. But two years ago, um, I was sort of a pivotal moment going through a divorce and just my health was not very good. I was carrying around 35 pounds of fat and, uh, I just made a commitment that, you know what, this is going to come to an end. And then I committed to, uh, ketogenic lifestyle. And ever since then, I've had one cheat meal to try to break a, a plateau. And that was it. That's awesome. man. I mean, two years is pretty, pretty good while on keto. Not, yeah. And, scuff at. Yeah. And I mean, and it, it's been a real growing process for me because uh, four months ago, four months ago, I, I hit sort of a plateau and I wasn't able to get my, you know, my ketone bodies up above 0.5 uh, my, uh, fasted blood sugar level was elevated. My T4 thyroid was down. So I hit this, I hit this plateau. And for the past four months, I've been really trying to figure it out. I gained 12 pounds, which isn't a ton of weight. So I'm six, two, but it's going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it, it, it I, I'm grateful for it because I think that it will give me an opportunity to crack this code and to find out what the heck is going on inside of my body and then, you know, and then share it with, uh, share it with everybody, you know, who's interested in hearing of, you know, what I did to sort of reverse this. So it's, uh, it's going on now. So, so what, um, just kind of to backtrack a little bit farther, when you started keto two years ago, you said mm -hmm. you were, you know, overweight and you're going through divorce. Like what was the, what was like the pivotal aha moment of, you know, keto is the solution here? Um, well, I mean, I always knew that keto was the solution because most of, you know, our ingredient company deals with so many keto brands. It was just the level of discipline and it was easier for me to, you know, to come home from work and order a pizza and, you know, and eat the whole pizza and slug down a bottle of wine with the pizza. And it was just sort of a lifestyle of more, of more sloth. And, you know, considering that I had a company that, you know, that catered to, to keto manufacturers, I just felt like a huge fraud. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm preaching the story of, Hey, you know, sugar, you know, sugar is bad for you. And, you know, you should be on a low carb diet. But then, I mean, I was being a hypocrite by, you know, going home at night and drinking a bottle of wine and, you know, eating a pizza or going out for sushi and eating a bunch of rice. And I mean, I think the pivotal moment for me was, you know, I was at a trade show. I was at Supply Side West, which is, you know, a uh, sports nutrition ingredient trade show. And I was out with some clients and, uh, you know, and I would I was staying in a room at the at the Luxor and uh, it they said it was remodeled, but it it was just not a great room. It was it smelled like old stale booze and, and regret. And uh and so I was out that evening with some clients and ate a bunch of food, had a couple glasses of wine and then followed up with dessert and then just went up to my room and, you know, did some late night snacking. And I woke up the next morning in this, you know, in this room that smelled like old booze and, you know, and, and just bad stories and looked at myself in the mirror and I was just like, who, you know, who are you? It's like, why, you know, you're overweight. My blood pressure at the time was one, 190 over 99. The doctors were telling me that I was going to have either a stroke or a heart attack if I didn't get it under control. 
Um, I had terrible heartburn. Uh, you know, I was taking Prilosec and, and Tums to try to, you know, to control my heartburn. My sleep cycle was all messed up. And at that point in time, it's just like, I need to make a lifestyle change. And that's when I fully committed to it. And the way I did it is I just, I, I caused myself and related so much pain to, to my slothful lifestyle. And I mean, human beings are motivated by pain and pleasure. And I just made the pain exceed the pleasure that I was deriving from, you know, eating carb rich food and, you know, drinking too much wine. It, I just applied so much pain to the result of that, that it sort of erased the pleasure of it. And that's when I really drilled down into my journey, my ketogenic, ketogenic journey. And what, like when you, when you did that, you made that commitment and you started eating, you know, strict keto, just, you know, straight off the bat. Like what, what, um, what, what happened? Like, did you go through the whole keto flu symptoms? You said you'd played around with Atkins in the past. Was it a much of a stark contrast between that? Well, I mean, the other times that I'd done keto, I had gotten the keto flu. Um, but two years ago when I committed to keto, I did not, I didn't get any keto flu symptoms. Um, and I think that the reason that that happened is is constantly, I would say, uptaking exogenous ketones. Like I was eating, I was taking a lot of MCT oil, a lot of coconut oil, and really introducing a lot of fat, and then also BHB. Um, you know, I included a lot of that, so I was really keeping myself in pretty deep ketosis. And I think that the exogenous ketones. It really helped offset that keto flu. But the first week I noticed my energy levels were down. But after, you know, after the first or second week when I was, you know, really able to get my body to start adapting to, you know, burning fats rather than carbs, it was like somebody turned a light on. Mm -hmm. It completely, my energy level was, you know, really, really went up. Um, and that's when I started tracking my weight loss and I was losing two to three pounds a week, um, which I was fine with. I didn't want to like end up losing like 30 pounds and, you know, in a, in a one month period. Um, I don't think that's too healthy and you might end up carrying around a little extra skin. Yeah. So I was, I was careful that I paced it. Um, and I also, you know, I'm huge on data collection so every single morning I was checking, you know, checking my ketone levels, checking my blood sugar, checking my blood pressure, my weight, um, and tracking my macros and also, um, how much I was hydrating. So that was, that was my induction. What did you like, um, with regard to macros, kind of like what is your sweet spot or preferred ratios? Um, my preferred ratio is... 70, probably 70% fats, 20% proteins, 10% carbs, but they're the carbs that I do take are from, you know, like cruciferous vegetables and vegetables that just grow above the ground. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Some people, I don't know, like I, me personally, I haven't have a like 80% fat ratio. Like I've tried 70%. I just feel more bloated for whatever reason. Interesting. You think, well, so at an 80%, 
what did you did you reduce your proteins or your carbs? Uh, my carbs stay pretty low. I'm about you know twenty grams of total carbs a day. Twenty ten to twenty. Like I don't ever go above twenty. Oh, interesting. And then what what's the source of carbs that you're getting? Uh, just trace carbs. You know, sometimes I'll have like a like kale or spinach, or I'll have you know mm. a little bit of almond butter that has some of the trace carbs in there. Um, okay. Nothing nothing too crazy. Maybe maybe you know occasionally I'll have like some cauliflower, but nothing nothing much beyond that. Gotcha. And then are you, do you supplement with, uh, with fiber at all? You know, not really. Honestly, I, I've tried some of the different like fiber supplements, but I feel like there's an adaptation period to limiting your fiber that low. And then once like, you know, sometimes it's a week or sometimes it's, you know, as long as three or four weeks, but once you give your body that time necessary, like that becomes a new norm and I haven't noticed any digestive problems at all. Oh, that's good. And then do you do anything to support your microbiome? Yeah, I do. I mean, I have like, um, I've been eating a lot of um, almond-based yogurt, that Kite Hill yogurt. Have you ever had that? No, I haven't. Oh, man, it's amazing. It's like the same consistency as regular yogurt, but it doesn't have any of the carbs in it. So it's a, it's a good option yeah. for sure. Wow. And what, so, and what brand is that? Uh, it's called Kite Hill. Um, but they make like a cream cheese spread, I think. They make the yogurt. They have like yogurts that have you know added sugars and like fruits and whatnot but the the unsweetened unflavored version is like for the entire container it's like three grams of total carbs for like this huge oh, container oh, oh wow that's that's amazing i mean i i actually make my own yogurt oh, so really? i've got yeah and i i usually use like an 11 strain probiotic that i get from a place in california called custom probiotics and so this time i mixed an 11 strain with a single strain that I picked up from a company, uh, in Norway. Um, so I've got a full fat and even added cream. <clears throat> so I have a half a gallon of that going right now. And then I'm ta I'm making my first sort of four way, four, four way, four way. Now, let me, <laughs> my first venture yeah. into, um, <laughs> into, uh, making coconut, um, yogurt. I've never honestly made yogurt. Like, walk me through the process of what it is to make yogurt. It's really, really easy. So, basically, um, the process that I use now is I use a sous vide. And do you know what a sous vide is? Yeah, like the, the water cooker? Yeah, so it's a water cooker. So, like, I'll just get, so I've got, like, a big three-and-a-half-gallon pot. And so I'll just fill that up with water and use my sous vide and then I'll take a half gallon, like big mason jar. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to make the yogurt is just to put, you know, you put your milk in and then just stir in like a couple tablespoons of, of yogurt that you bought at the store because that will have the, the probiotic uh, uh, bacteria in there to get it started. Um, and then that's it. And then keep it at about 100 degrees um, for 100 hours. So have a big pot. Put the sous vide in there, put yep. a big mason jar with yep. just uh, like organic, no, no sugar added milk, whole milk, I'm yep. assuming. Yep. And then put in a couple of tablespoons of like the almond yogurt if I'm using that and then just let it sit for 100 hours at 100 degrees. Yep. That's it. Wow. wow that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll have to try that. It, it, yeah. It's super easy. And so the first one, you know, your first batch might turn out like a little runny, mm -hmm. but if you, you can add like milk solids, which is, which are just basically powdered milk. Um, so you can add that. It'll give it a little more texture, like a little more body. 
But yeah, and then the longer you let it set, the more sour it gets, and the more sour it gets, the more probiotics that are in there. And then do you just, like after that's sat for the 100 hours, then you just stick it in the fridge and call it good? Just stick it in the fridge, call it good. What do you do, like a lot of people will say that, you know, with yogurts, um, like the natural sugars and the lactose, like those pretty much don't really pertain to yogurt because, I mean, it's just a, like your body's not really using it as sugar at that point. What, what's, what's the process there? Well, so that's, so the process of making yogurt, the, the bacteria um, uh, that, you, that you introduce actually eats sugar. So that's part of the process of fermentation is having the proper bacteria. Like if you make sauerkraut, um, so I make a lot of sauerkraut um, and kimchi. And if you add, you know, when you add those, those probiotics or those bacteria into, you know, into an environment where there's carbohydrates and sugars, they will actually consume those. So your yogurt is going to have a lot less uh, a lot less lactose in it because that's what the bacteria eat in order to create yogurt. Is there any way to like know, because I, mean, I track all my macros, so is there any way to know, <laughs> like if I go buy a gallon or a half a gallon, you know, of this, you know, whole milk to mm-hmm. use as the starter and it's got, you know, 12 grams of sugar per serving on there. Right. When it's all said and done and made into yogurt, what, what do you think it's actually going to wind up with? Um, that's a good question. I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, the only way that you could actually calculate all of the all of the macros in there would be to send it off to a lab to get a nutritional nutritional analysis done. Uh, But I mean, I would imagine that if you have whole milk, I mean, whole milk is. I think per cup, what is it, 12 grams? Yeah, if, if you get like a standard milk, I want, I, I probably want to get like just the straight from the the cow, you know, non-pasteurized if I could find yeah. it. Yeah, getting non-pasteurized is hard to find. I use non-homogenized, mm-hmm. but really finding non-pasteurized is a little harder to find. But I mean, the higher the fat content, the probably the lower your sugars. Because I mean, if you look at the sugars in skim milk in comparison to whole milk, those are, you know... There, there's a pretty stark difference there. Oh, it's crazy, man! Like I've got uh, one of my clients uh, works at a facility where they they you know produce manufactured dairy, and he huh. says that when they're making this whole milk, they like ring this whistle, and then every every employee grabs a 55 pound sack of sugar and just lines up and pours it into this vat of milk, what? and that's just what people are drinking. You're kidding me? No, no, there's a ton of added sugar in there. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I get mine. mine. I get mine from a. Uh, I mean, it's sold at the store, but it's from a dairy called Jerry's Dairy. Mm-hmm. So that, that's usually the milk that I use, and there's always a little cream on the top, and um, and that. I mean, so it's it's. I I think it's either eleven or twelve grams per cup. But okay. after you know, after you after you make the yogurt, a lot of the lactose is eaten up. So I would imagine that you're going to be in the five to six grams maximum i'm gonna try that then for sure that would be that'd be pretty cool i'm gonna have to to get it i guess i could if you know if i'm making almond yogurt i wonder if i could use like almond milk as the starter i don't know if that would work or not do you know you could try it i mean what's the worst thing that's going to happen you'll get something that you know watery (laughs) yeah that's that's super watery which means that you need to add more 
more to it. And if you needed to add more to it, um, you could add a carbohydrate, like a, uh, a, a slow digestible car- carbohydrate, like inulin, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is a, which is a great fiber. Like a lot of times I'll add that, I'll add inulin to the, um, um, to my yogurt mix just to increase, you know, increase the, the bacteria activity. Um, and that's pretty much kind of like a very nominal glycemic low. Like there's not really any effect on your blood glucose with the inulin. No. And I've actually made, I've actually made just an 11 strain, uh, kefir using just water and, uh, and inulin. So like one cup of, of inulin for a half a gallon of water and then introduced the 11 strain bacteria to it. Mm -hmm. Um, you could probably just put a spoonful of uh, of yogurt, of dairy, or or your your almond uh, yogurt. Drop it right in there, and that that uh, that that little bit should propagate the the bacteria. So you could actually just u- make a a kefir drink out of uh, out of inulin water and bacteria, and let that set in the um, uh, in a water bath with mm-hmm. the soup heat for a hundred hours at hundred degrees. I'm going to try it this weekend. You've get, I've never made yogurt. I said, so I'm, I'm, my interest has been peaked for sure. Yeah. Try it out. Cause I mean, once you see how easy it is and how much money you're going to save, <laughs> it'll just, yeah. You, you, and then you can strain it. If you want it to be thicker, you can just use a, a cheesecloth to, to strain it. But I like, I, I pour it on, um, granola. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Are you familiar with, uh, Julian bakery? Yeah, I've never tried their their granola, but yeah, I'm familiar with the the company. That their the, let me tell you that that uh, that granola is is really really good. So it's made with a lot of egg white protein and it's super high fiber. So do you gosh. do you notice um, like have you ever gone long without really introducing m- much of the you know probiotics and kind of how your body responded? Um. I, I have. And so I live in the Pacific Northwest. So the winters can be, they can be a drag. Um, you know, it's often really gray, rainy, cold. And this year it was particularly bad. We had a lot of our employees out sick. And so, you know, greater than 70% of your immune system is driven by your microbiome. So it's super important. You know, if you, if you keep your, your microbiome super, super fit, um, you know, you're, you're probably going to be able to avoid getting cold and flu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just making gallons of it and bringing it to work and having everybody drink it. So it, it worked for me. I didn't get a single cold all year. I haven't had a cold, I think in actually two years. Um, so I really believe in, you know, in supporting the microbiome. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I would like to really dive into because we don't even know what we don't know about the gut microbiome. Um, so it's kind of like one of the last frontiers, so to speak. Um, and I really just kind of want to dive into that because there's been times where I've not had any, you know, probiotics and I don't feel poorly. But right. I wonder if I'm missing out on something that you know would manifest itself over more time or, or just kind of what the scenario is there. Well, I mean, there's there's a really, really, really excellent book. Um, <clears throat> that I read, I think a couple months ago about the microbiome and I'm trying to track it down in my reading list here. <clears throat> it was, um, it was written by a professor 
at UCLA. I'm rolling through my list here to see if I can find it um, about the importance of the microbiome and a lot of the stuff that we don't really even know. And one of the one of the biggest factors, um, you know, that is, is the way that our gut communicates with our brain. Mm-hmm. And so the vagus nerve is the largest nerve in our body. And the vagus nerves actually runs from our gut right to our brain. Mm-hmm. So the vagus nerve can control heart rate and controls, you know, moods, you know, flight or fight syndrome. So there's, I mean, there's a lot, a lot to that. And I mean, this book really, really digs deep into, you know, the importance of the, of keeping a healthy microbiome to, you know, so it communicates effectively with your brain and a lot of mood disorders, you know, have been, have, have found their roots actually in an imbalance in your microbiome. So it's, uh, I mean, I don't know, for me, it's a pretty important thing. No, I I agree. I think, um, I, I can't necessarily feel like I don't feel poorly without taking many of the probiotics now on keto, but I will say that before I was keto, I felt like my gut was in a state of shock all the time. Like I think carbs really screwed my gut up and that had a negative effect. Um, yeah, so, so I think the the gut microbiome is crucial for sure. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's I try to keep it supported as the best that I possibly can. Um, do you, you know, do any kind of? And, hmm. Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, please. Do you do any kind of like um, uh, like the the vegetable based micronutrient kind of you know greens supplements or anything like that? I do when I have a smoothie. So I would say that <clears throat> that smoothies are more of a treat for me than anything else. Um, so if I do have, you know, if I have a smoothie, usually I have them on Friday mornings. Um, you know, I'll put a handful of, of berries. I'll use a, 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 pro, a probiotic um, and a prebiotic fiber, psyllium husks, um, some nuts, and definitely, you know, definitely greens. Um you know, I get quite a bit, quite a bit of greens during the week because I'll eat kale and and spinach. We have a garden that's full of kale right now, um, but you know, I always think that it's super important to um, you know to augment your you know what you're doing with those with powdered greens for sure. What is your take on um, like carnivore keto? That that seems to be gaining in popularity right now. So it's basically zero vegetables. My take on zero vegetables? Yeah, like the whole carnivore craze that's going on right now. Well, I mean, if it's working for people, um, great. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if you eat too much protein, it can also throw you out of ketosis. So, like, proteins can be converted into glycogens. And I, I really think that, yeah, I mean, eating too much protein will definitely take you out of out of ketosis. So if you're, if, if you're looking to, you know, to really yield all of the benefits of a ketogenic diet, um, I think limiting protein is, is pretty important. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've played around at the carnival, but I, even when I was trying that, I always kept my fat ratio, you know, high on the higher end on a ketogenic spectrum. I think, uh, that's kind of one of the more, the more profound mistakes of people that just have like the do carnivore approach and they'll just have their proteins 
you know, higher than their fat ratios, which is just going to, as you say, kind of, you know, limit their ketone production and just have adverse effects more so than, than necessary. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, I think you do need some, I mean, you absolutely need to have fiber. If you don't have enough fiber in your system, you're not going to be supporting your microbiome, but I mean, it can also lead to, you know, health issues down the road. I mean, fibers great for your digestive system and for your process of, of, of elimination. So I think going just solid protein and, and, and fat, I'm not sure that that is a sustainable long-term um, solution. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I'm on this plateau and I've been consulting three or four different functional medic medicine uh, medical doctors. Mm -hmm. And one of them said, one of them told me that actually your if you starve your body completely of carbohydrates that your you know that you will start metabolizing muscle tissue as well as i mean once you've depleted the the glycogens out of your muscle tissues you'll actually start depleting actual muscle tissue as your body is trying to to introduce some sort of glucose into your, uh, you know, into your, your body, your, your body does need a certain level of glucose to function, particularly your brain. Now your brain will function, you know, well, uh, you know, with ketone bodies, but it also, I mean, it also requires a certain level of glucose. So once you get to a certain point where your body is completely depleted of glycogens and, and glucose, you're going to start getting a lot of brain fog. And I think that you might start seeing, you know, muscle breakdown and maybe even organs too over a certain period of time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's, I, I want to dive into kind of speaking of like the, the carbs and the fibers and, and just kind of the sweeteners, you mm -hmm. know, that's kind of like your forte there. Um, and there's a whole bunch of sweeteners on the market now, especially, mm -hmm. you know, now that keto and kind of people are more health conscious than they were, you know, 20 years ago, what's mm -hmm. like, just kind of compare and contrast some of the different sweeteners, like dive into, um, you know, what, what's their effect is on the blood glucose, um, is mm. there an insulin response? Um, mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a, an understanding that a lot of these might not necessarily have a glycemic index, but just the hormonal effect can still cause a, mm -hmm. an insulin response. Um, yep. and people need to be, you know, cautious of that as well. Yeah, and we've done studies. So, I mean, we've got a lab here and I mean that we use for reformulating a lot of our a lot of our customers' recipes. And so, I mean, we do quite a few experiments and plus, I mean, I consider myself a bit of a biohacker, so I will conduct a lot of the experiments on myself. And so, <clears throat> I I was finding that every time that I would drink Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi that I, I always felt like I was being pulled out of pulled out of, of out of keto. Mm -hmm. And I was always curious about that because theoretically, you know, the sweeteners that they use in in conventional diet soda, those sweeteners are gonna be asulfame K or aspartame or sucralose. And so the common thread amongst all of those is that they're chemically created. And so your body doesn't really recognize what it is. It does recognize that it's sweet. And so that's when that's when the the hormonal reaction will kick in because it doesn't know what it is. 
it's sweet, we're going to act like it's sugar. Mm -hmm. So the benefit that you're going to get from drinking diet sodas is going to be calorie reduction. But the downside of it is your body is still going to act as if it had, if, as if it had sugar and it can lead to insulin resistance. So we did, the, we conducted these experiments with A-sulfane K, with aspartame and with sucralose and we compared it to stevia and monk root extract because those are all high intensity sweeteners. And what we found is that if you consume, if you're consuming a beverage that's got monk fruit or, or stevia extract in it, it doesn't, your, it doesn't raise your blood sugar levels like it does an artificial sweetener. And what we were able to come up with is that because it's something that's created in nature, it's derived from monk fruit or it's derived from stevia, that your body does recognize what it is. It's got the receptors to understand, oh, this is, you know, this is a natural plant, plant extract. So you'll be getting the benefits of, you know, of calorie reduction and also the fact that it doesn't affect blood sugar levels whatsoever. Um, and we did conduct we did conduct an actual experiment with one of our one of one of our customers um, Bulletproof the from mm -hmm. Bulletproof Coffee. They came down to our facility and we had made keto ice cream with allulose, and we had slathered over the top of this keto ice cream uh, a caramel syrup that was also made with allulose, uh, stevia, and monk fruit. And we pulled blood before and checked for ketone bodies and also checked uh, uh, blood sugar levels, uh, ate a big bowl of ice cream with caramel syrup on it, and then waited an hour later and we pulled blood again and actually found that the allulose, um, stevia, and bunk fruit blend that was in the ice cream and the caramel syrup actually dropped the blood sugar level and raised the ketone slightly <laughs> that's crazy man it is but i mean i've read several articles about allulose and how allulose and that how allulose can deepen deepen you into into ketosis and actually um drop your your blood sugar levels so we're we're super excited about about allulose i want to dive into into all of these um Especially okay. allulose. So, so like with sucralose and acesulfame potassium, like what is there a difference there? Like is one better than the other? Well, I mean, acesulfame K and aspartame, those those are are protein based sweeteners, and so they've got like uh, phenylalanine based. So if you suffer from phenyl phenylketonuria, uh, which is a brain disorder, those particular sweeteners can actually um, put you into a seizure. So if you look on the back of any product that has acesulfame K or aspartame in it, there's, there's a warning, a clear warning that says, you know, warning to people suffering from phenyl, uh, ketonuria, you know, consuming this product can lead to health risks. So, I mean, there's that, that sort of factor. I mean, is that, does that happen to people that don't? have phenylketonuria? I don't know, but it's, it's a protein based amino acid based sweetener. So it's, it's, it's not conclusive. Um, sucralose is a chlorinated sugar molecule. And for the longest time, I didn't really believe that there was enough 
chlorine in it to actually affect uh, the human body. But we did have a project where we brought in uh, 20 kilograms of sucralose. And when we opened the package, you could clearly smell chlorine, which later when I researched several articles, um, it was it was suggested that consuming sucralose may disrupt your your microbiome or you know kill off some of your gut flora which kind of makes sense because you know they put chlorine in a pool to kill mm. bacteria and if you're consuming it you know it's not difficult to to be able to surmise that it could you know it could disrupt your microbiome so is there one that's better i don't know i mean I would say all things in moderation. If you're if you're going to drink soda, um, I would consider looking at you know like uh, zevia, which is sweetened with with stevia extract. Pretty pretty good product. Um, I do drink core beverages um, sweetened with stevia and erythritol, and never have had any problems with blood sugar there. What about um, what about xylitol? Well. I mean, xylitol is another sort of interesting. I mean, it's something we carry. We don't get a ton of requests for it because usually xylitol is more um, used in like chewing gums and mouthwashes and toothpaste. Um, Xylitol is an alcohol sugar like erythritol. Um, Xylitol is sweeter than erythritol, but it also increases water activity in the lower intestine. So it's not too tough to put two and two together. Yeah. If you've got increased water activity in your lower intestine, that's got to go somewhere. So, uh, xylitol can be a little diuretic and can also, uh, uh, give you some gas and disaster pants if you have too much of it. Yeah. That's not good. (laughs) That's probably more of a a glucose response too than, than erythritol, right? Um, I haven't noticed that. I mean, I haven't noticed that xylitol, um, you know, that xylitol increases blood sugar levels. I mean, it's considered safe for di- uh, diabetics. Um, we just don't use a lot of it just because it's, it's pretty hard on your stomach. And, you know, particularly if you have it in a beverage and you're slamming a beverage, you could, you could end up in a little bit of trouble. And, and the same goes for like maltitol and sorbitol i mean those are better for for like gum you know like chewing gum and and mints where you're not going to be taking in a whole lot of it at once mm-hmm. um because that can be pretty pretty disruptive um out of all the alcohol sugars um we have found that uh um that erythritol has the least laxation effect and people tolerate it probably better than any of the polyols, but I can, I can say that we're definitely moving away from polyols and into allulose because allulose, um, really has shown to not have any effect on GI. Um, and it participates in Maillard, which is the chemical reaction between proteins and sugars, which creates caramelization. Um, it's been super easy to work with in, in our lab. We've been able to make a lot of syrups, our condiment line that we're coming out with. Um, 
is all based in uh, in allulose, so we're we're all in on that. Now, allulose, I haven't really. I mean, there's not a whole lot of products on the market currently that use it. I've I've had a couple Quest bars that use allulose, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they have to like with allulose, you have to like the the FDA or so, I don't know I don't know how this works, but basically they have you write it or list it as a sugar for yep. whatever reason. Why is that? Um, well, because it's a novel sweetener, the F, the FDA doesn't really, they don't know how to classify it. So if they don't know how to classify it, um, they're going to want it listed in an added, in the added sugar column. But I know that some of our manufacturer partners are working with the FDA right now and that we're projecting within the next three to six months that the FDA is going to switch their position on it and um and allow it to not be mentioned or listed as a added as an added sugar on the nutritional facts panel so i would look for that happening in the next three to six months which you will see a literal explosion of new products uh utilizing allulose it's uh and i mean for for your for your listeners that don't know what allulose is um, it's considered a rare sugar, and it's made actually by enzymatically treating uh, a fructose molecule. And so the result is allulose, this rare sugar that your body um, actually does not metabolize whatsoever. It just washes out through the urine and feces. So is it just um, like the the allulose, there's an enzymatic process there, so it's just a sugar fru- fructose molecule that that then... Undergo, undergoes this this reaction and then the body basically just from that reaction is not able to process it whatsoever precisely and so there's a lot of, of rare sugars out there um allulose just happens to be the one that's that's uh that's most available um but yeah once you enzymatically treat it so and basically what that means is you're you're introducing a yeast so it would be similar to like making yogurt you'd be introducing an enzyme or a yeast into a slurry, uh, like a liquid slurry of fructose, and then that particular enzyme, you know, is consuming part of that fructose molecule and re, um, and rearranging it so your body doesn't really metabolizes it. It recognizes it as fructose hormonally, so you're going to, you know, it's, you're, you're not going to have a typical reaction, um, because fructose is typically metabolized in the liver and doesn't cause any type of a, uh, of a metabolic, um, reaction as far, I mean, it's considered low glycemic. Um, but part of the downside is that if, if you just consume, if you consumed fructose, and since fructose is metabolized in your liver, it can shut down your your liver's ability to produce ketones. Right. So when you know when you when people that are in a ketogenic lifestyle or diet, you know, are avoiding sugar, it's really the one you want to avoid is going to be fructose because of the fact that it is metabolized in the liver and it will immediately uh, shut your liver down from producing uh, ketones. So, but once the, once you, um, enzymatically treat this fructose molecule 
it changes the configuration where it's not metabolized by the liver. But it still functions exactly like fructose, meaning it participates in Maillard, it caramelizes, it has a, it has a substantial mouthfeel to it, meaning that you can make a syrup, like a simple syrup out of it. Um, so there's a ton of flexibility where polyols were pretty difficult to use in the baking process, um, you know, because they didn't, they weren't responding with, um, uh, with yeasts and leavening. So this is, we really believe that allulose is going to be, you know, a pretty amazing uh, sweetener in the next three or six months. What, um, how does it compare with like stevia or like the monk fruit? Well, I mean, stevia and monk fruit, both of those are about 200 times sweeter than sugar. So allulose is about 70% as sweet as sugar. So we we have our proprietary blend called Keto Sweet, and which is actually allulose, stevia, and monk fruit. So when we introduce the stevia and the monk fruit um, and blend it with the, with the allulose, the allulose then becomes slightly sweeter than sugar. So you're using something that you could just use like table sugar that has the same functionality and the same taste without the calories or without any glycemic impact whatsoever. And with that kind of ratio, you'd basically be doing like a one-to-one sugar ratio. Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you would just use it like you would use table sugar at that point. If you don't, if you don't add, you know, the stevia and the monk fruit, then it's going to be 70% as sweet as sugar, which means that you're going to have to use 30% more. Right. You know, and so when we, when we mix in the stevia and the monk fruit, um, it does bring it to parity. So it makes it a lot, a lot more usable for both our manufacturers and consumers. How does, um, how does it increase your ketone production? Like you kind of alluded to earlier. You know what? I don't have an answer on that, which is, which is, which is sort of peculiar. And it's something that I'm still researching. There was an article that was, that was created by Matsutani and Matsutani is a company out of, uh, out of Japan. And they are the original holders of the intellectual property for allulose. Um, and so they've been doing a lot of research on allulose. Uh, it's research that's funded by, you know, a university in, uh, in Japan, as well as the U.S. government, or I mean the Japanese government, um, and they've got a lot of studies on how it affects blood sugar levels, but there isn't like a conclusive answer on why it's driving up uh, ketone levels. Hmm. That's very interesting. I'm going to have can you just buy like a bag of allulose? Like, I, order I don't it? think anybody has it on the market right now, but if you shoot me an email, I will certainly send some to you. <laughs> yeah, shoot me. Can, like, I'll, I'll get I'll get that, and then I'll do like a YouTube review or something, and I'll just like test all my numbers and see what happens. I you're gonna be amazed by it, and once you start using it, I don't know if you have a sweet tooth, but once you start using it, um, you're you're gonna find that it's gonna be your go-to sweetener probably. I don't have a crazy sweet tooth, but there's some things that I'll use with sucralose, and mm. obviously I'll use stevia, like I'll use the Zevia drinks and everything. But the thing I don't mm. like about sucralose is that I've noticed it causes some water retention. And, you know, like if, like for my clients and myself, the last thing we want to do is, is kind of have a skewed weight from water retention. Um, mm. So if allulose can 
bypass that problem, then <laughs> that's pretty interesting for sure. Yeah, I haven't run into any issues with water retention, but I did definitely run into issues with water retention when I was drinking, you know, so I would drink like I did an experiment where I was drinking a di two diet sodas um, like a couple of hours before I'd go to bed at night mm -hmm. and then weigh myself in the morning. And it was interesting because I was getting water retention from from asulfame K to aspartame and definitely sucralose. And I'm not sure why that is. I mean, unless there, I didn't read the nutritional panel to see if there's a lot of sodium in there, but I'm un, I'm unsure why that actually happens. But it doesn't happen if I'm drinking a couple Zevias, you know, like maybe six or seven in the evening. Yeah, six or seven Zevias. You must like your soft drinks. <laughs> no, <laughs> six or seven in the evening. Oh, okay, <laughs> six or seven so, Zevias. <laughs> so only two. Gotcha. Yeah, otherwise I'll be up every hour. I don't want that. Yeah, no, no, no good. What's your favorite Zevia flavor? The ginger root beer. I just had the, the for the first time last week. I made one of those. Uh, I made like a, a pseudo Moscow mule with it, minus the alcohol. Oh. But I used that ginger beer, and it was amazing. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh, I like it a lot for sure. Yeah, and I think there's. You're. We're gonna see a lot more of those. Um, a lot more of those stevia and. Um, uh, monk fruit sweetened uh, soft drinks coming out. We have a customer out of Seattle called Dry Soda, mm -hmm. and they actually just this week are releasing releasing a uh, uh, a soda that has uh, stevia and a, a little bit of erythritol in it. Yeah, I think I mean there's such a huge market there for it. That, I mean, uh, like, you look at like the standard soft drinks, and there's like every brand under the sun, and I mean. I think right now pretty much Zevia has the market share for the soft drinks, you know, that, that are appealing to like the, the keto and low carb community. So I think there's definitely a lot of potential there for companies to come in. Yeah, I, I agree with you and they can come right to us for the sweeteners. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, what are you, what are you working on now? Like what's uh what's something that's got you excited as far as, you know, the food production process and just the experimentation you're doing? Well, I mean, we just wrapped up, we just wrapped up a line of condiments. So those condiments will be coming out uh, next month. Barbecue sauce, steak sauce, uh, ketchup, teriyaki sauce, sweet chili sauce. Those are going to be coming out. We've got a caramel sauce that we're working on that I project that we'll have out in the next two months. Um, I'm working right now on a gummy bear, an MCT gummy bear um, recipe that I think we're maybe a couple weeks out to having a good solid prototype done. Um, we have three different ice cream dry mixes um, that are very solid. The consumers, we've been selling them to dairies um, that want to compete with uh, Halo Top. Um, and then tomorrow, tomorrow we're actually going to be having a tasting of our uh, keto-friendly vegan ice cream mix um, which I'm pretty excited about. And then probably within the three to four month, uh, range, we're going to have a line of, of, uh, of soda syrups that you could use in your, uh, your soda stream. Mm -hmm. And I would say three months after that, we're probably looking at going into production on a line of our, our own, uh, stevia and allulose sweetened, uh, carbonated soft drinks well if you have any taste tester man i'll be more than happy to oblige you 
we do need taste testers. <laughs> so we have taste testers in house, but I always I rely. I mean, once we get something in a prototype mode, and we've you know, and we've used up our in house, um, you know, tasting panel, we always get it out to you know, like maybe thirty to fifty different you know, taste makers and influencers just to get their opinions on it. So, um, yeah, you're, you're now on our list. So awesome. <laughs> everything we develop, you'll, you'll be, you'll be seeing samples of it. That sounds beautiful to me. What, what, um, talk about the ice cream. Like there's a whole bunch of, everybody loves, loves ice cream and ice cream's kind of been mm-hmm. a hard thing to really perfect with keto. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, like the, the Arctic zero tastes just like frozen icicles. Um, yeah, Halo Top. I've actually never even had the Halo Top, but the uh, um, the enlightened ice cream is kind of gaining traction. What mm-hmm. What are you doing with yours to like? How, what's your base and how how are you making that? Um, well, we've got three. Well, actually, we've got four different ice cream dry mixes. And when I say dry mix, it we basically package it in twenty kg or twenty kilogram. Uh, bag in the boxes that we ship off to various dairies and ice cream manufacturers. So we don't, it's not available quite yet. Probably three months from now, it'll be available to, um, uh, to consumers through our guy gone keto website. Um, but I mean, I would, the, the base of, we have dairy, like a dairy based one, which we're using milk protein, uh, we use, um, a lot of different gums and stabilizers. And then the sweetener that we're using is allulose, um, allulose, stevia and monk fruit, and then a slight vanilla flavor. And so what it is, it's a, it's an ice cream base. So we just make it in our ice cream maker here. Um, and then basically dairies just need to add, you know, they need to add milk, and or whatever milk they're using and uh and in eggs and inclusions meaning chocolate chips or uh butterscotch chips or whatever however they're going to want that ice cream uh, uh flavored but i mean another market that we found that is that we're super excited about is actually the inclusion market meaning manufacturing chocolate chips manufacturing butterscotch chips, white chocolate chips. We think that that is probably 2019 going to be another <clears throat> pretty big target market that we're going to go after because there's tons of ice creams that are starting to come out and that are in development that are, you know, keto friendly. The problem is the inclusions. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that aren't so keto friendly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's been a couple companies I think that kind of gotten themselves in trouble by using non-keto friendly inclusions in their supposedly keto friendly foods. Yes, we see that a lot, and we have a ton of customers just bugging us saying, "When are you gonna have chocolate chips? When are you gonna have butterscotch chips? White chocolate chips? When are you gonna have all of that?" So we're we're working on it, and we've all of our formulas are finished, and now we're just looking for a pathway to scalability. Meaning, you know, are we gonna be able to make you know, 20,000 pounds of these at a shot because that's how much we'd be shipping. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's, that's exciting, man. Like you're on the forefront <laughs> here of, you know, what people are eating in this newfound, you know, oh, yeah. health movement with keto. And that's, 
I mean, that's that's cutting edge stuff. I mean, you you have basically the ability to impact people's health now, which is pretty cool. It's awesome, and I mean, it at the end of the day, it's like when any successful business, like the most successful businesses, are going to know their why. Like, why are we doing this? And I think that for me, that it's just been a huge blessing that the why of our business is to actually make a difference, you know, like help people with their diets and maybe curtail, um, you know, type two diabetes. And I mean, to be able to make a difference like that and to get comments, you know, from people that have our products and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this doesn't have any sugar in it, you know, is, is hugely rewarding, you know? And, And that's, I think that when you stop doing stuff for money and you start doing things for contribution, that's when your entire mindset shifts. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, money only gets you so far. Like once, I don't know what the the number is, but there's been like several studies published where like when you exceed the the income needed to, to live a, you know, healthy lifestyle, put food on the table and not have to worry about, you know, paying the bills. Mm-hmm. I think like they average that at like seventy five thousand or something like that across the board. So anything above mm-hmm. that is just like it doesn't yield any added happiness. Like that's where like the happiness mm-hmm. pretty much caps. And then at that point, it's just like, what is your why? Like why are you here on this earth? And I think if you can look yourself in the eye and know that you're adding more value than you're taking, and you're just doing what's right by others, I mean you're freaking like that's that's way more fulfilling than money. I think that you, that is an absolute definition of wealth right there. You know, it's like, it's not the money, it's the contribution. Absolutely. I think it's very selfish to go through life and, and just want to get by, just, just, you know, go through, you know, live your time and, you know, kind of willy nilly. Um, you know, a lot of people say you only live once. I think I've talked about this on a previous podcast, but like they say, you only live once uh, you know, just have fun. Don't worry about anything. Yada yada yada. But I think that's that's almost a selfish way to live. Like, what you you have an opportunity to help pave the way for the future generation, and I think to not leverage that opportunity and make the most of it is just it's it's just uh, not optimal. I I agree with you a hundred and ten percent. And I mean, I know that you have a deep interest in stoicism, um, and so do I. And, uh, you know, I think that that contributing and examining one's life is the, is the foundation for, for stoicism and contribution. I could not agree more. What I got, to, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to end this with a, with a good question for you here for the audience. Okay. Um, Great. what is a good question from a stoic perspective that anybody listening could ask themselves on a day-to-day basis that is inherently going to improve their day-to-day actions? That is a really, really excellent question. And, and for me, you know, I mean, I start my day every single morning. I do not miss it to, to read the Daily Stoic. I mean, that is just, that's my foundation. And I would say that starting, starting your day in, in an attitude of gratitude and from a stoic perspective, how could I make the world a better place? Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you.
<laughs> I think uh, living with intention and mm. and taking the time to ask yourself those questions and be reflective and forward thinking is is of paramount importance. Absolutely, and letting go of the ego. Yeah, the ego is the enemy, right? Absolutely. <laughs> another good book. Um, well, Tom, we're speaking the same language, man, for sure. We're gonna have to do another podcast. I'm have to. Have you on here again after you uh, have some of these food products launched? Because I'd love to hear kind of some of the, you know, after the fact, post uh, launch, Mm. kind of what what you've learned from it all. Definitely. Absolutely count on it. Where where can uh, people go to find out more about you in the meantime? Um, Well, if they want to find out about my book, uh, Guy Gone Keto, and if they want to uh, pre-order some of the condiments or any of the stuff, they can go to guygoneketo.com. Um, check out our site, check out, you know, some of the blog posts on there and, and see what we're up to. Um, we'll also start posting, uh, you know, some of the new products that we're working on. Um, so go to Guy Gone Keto if they want to reach out to me on the social Guy Gone Keto on Twitter, Instagram. Um, yeah. Very cool. I'll link out to all those as well. So it's easy to find. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to try your your barbecue sauce because there's there's I've, I've been I've been using the G Hughes, which is great, but it's sucralose, and then I've been using the Walden Farms, and mm. Walden Farms is just not that great barbecue. No, Walden Farm. I mean, they they've got some decent products, but I I think yeah, I think that once you try our barbecue sauce, you'll be hooked. Yeah, I'm I'm counting on it, man. I, yeah, I hope <laughs> I hope your barbecue sauce will feel fill my itch for a good keto barbecue sauce. I think it will. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Tom, until next time, man, it's been a pleasure. Robert, I really appreciate you having me on. This has been a really, really great podcast. I've learned a lot from it, and hopefully I was able to you know, share some interesting stuff with your with your fans. Absolutely. We, I think we're, we've all had our interest peaked with regard to allulose. We're going to all be doing some digging and taste testing now. Nice. Very cool, very cool. Well, Tom, until next time, man, take care. <laughs>